Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a brittle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a small, very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue. A restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for being able to worship in your house, for being able, O oh Lord, to just lift up the name of Jesus, the name that we all need to hear every single day. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we hear from this word, as it is proclaimed, that you will speak through me, O oh Lord, and share your thoughts to be my own, and that, O oh Lord, we will be built up for your kingdom through it. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It used to be that a lot of people considered teaching as a profession. When I was coming up through high school and through college, when somebody didn't know what they were going to do for a living, often they would ask themselves, what do I like? Well, I like math, or I like science, or I like English. I guess I'll just go into being a teacher in that area. Many of my friends in college, however, as they were trying to become teachers, quickly discovered that teaching is not for everyone. That just because you like a subject, just because you're good at it or able to learn it very well, does not necessarily mean that you are able to share that knowledge with other people in a way that is effective. That just because you're knowledgeable about something doesn't mean that you're a good teacher about that something. You see, a teacher doesn't just have to know their stuff. 
they actually have to be able to teach it to others. They have to be able to help students retain and, uh, and obtain that knowledge in a way that they can remember it. Teachers are used to repeating themselves over and over and over again. If you don't like repeating yourself, you can't be a teacher. I mean, they have to repeat stuff 7, 8, 10, 12 times, depending on the grade, right? Because people don't retain things right away. They have to be creative because you can't teach all the students the same way. You know, if, if you're trying to teach a classroom of 24 students and you just try to teach it one way and not find different ways, different angles to explain things, you're going to lose some, some students because everybody doesn't learn the same way. And so teachers have to be creative. They have to be able to present things in different ways. Notice, they're still presenting the same material, the same truth, but they're just finding different ways of presenting that same truth. In biblical times, though, a teacher or a rabbi, which was the Jewish term, was more than just an educator. A rabbi was more than just somebody who knew the Old Testament law and prophets. A rabbi was more than just an expert on the law. A rabbi was expected to be an example and a standard in terms of their life and relationship with God. They were supposed to be able to open up the scriptures to understanding. And rabbis were often called upon to explain scripture that was difficult to expand on it so that people would be able to understand it. Rabbis were also supposed to exhibit a spiritual maturity, which meant many rabbis had gray hair because they expected them to be mature in their understanding and their knowledge. You see, a teacher is, is somebody that does more than just teach. A teacher is somebody who cares enough about the students that they want to make sure that they learn and that they get as much from them as they can give them. And so the rabbi was accountable, not just for the, their own understanding of the scriptures and the law and the prophets and the word of God. They were also accountable for the people that they were teaching. Because a teacher can have a lot of influence on students. Anybody have one of those bad teachers? Didn't really care if you learned or not. Kind of just did everything the same. Or one of those teachers that simply you would go for help and would not offer any help for you to learn. Or any assistance for you to be able to understand the material. You see, another way a teacher can be bad is by passing down bad information. Did you ever have a teacher that taught you in a subject, and then you went to a higher grade, and your new teacher went, that's not right. You learned something that wasn't right. Well, that's what teacher so-and-so taught me. Well, they messed you up because this is how you have to learn it. This is how you have to know it. And you see, teachers can have an influence on their students that is lasting. And this is why James writes to us about teachers he writes to us about the fact that teachers have to be accountable, not just for themselves, but for those that they influence, their students, those that are learning from them. 
Because teaching is not a passive activity. It's something that we have to engage in fully. Now, James acknowledges that we all make mistakes. But notice that he expects teachers to make less mistakes than others. Did you notice that? He says, I expect teachers to be held at higher accountability with higher strictness. So he says, because of that, not many of you should be teachers, which is his kind way of saying few of you should become teachers. He's basically saying, don't just call teaching a backup and just fall into that as a default because teaching is a calling. It's something that you have to be called into and you have to have gifts and graces for. We have to remember that at the time that James is writing, these people that are in positions of teaching or rabbis are highly respected by the community. They're looked up on, and therefore, everything they say is heard and has an impact on the community. When he says that their words matter, it's because it does you see, back then, your word was your contract. They didn't have all these written contracts we have now where everything's written out and you have these nice documents everybody signs. Back then, your word was your commitment. So if you told your neighbor you were going to trade a goat for a calf, then that was a done deal the minute you two agreed to it verbally. The minute you gave your word, it became binding that's why Scripture warns time and time again for us to be careful to what we commit to because when we commit to it through word, we're saying we're going to do it. Guess what? If we don't do it, we become liars. And that's not what God wants. This is why Scripture tells us that our yes should be yes and our no should be no, that we should be people of integrity. James has already established that words matter. We heard about that a few weeks ago that it can build up or tear down. And therefore, he wants us to be careful how we use our words. And James basically says the tongue is a powerful member of your body because through it, you can build up or you can destroy. You can encourage or you can tear down. You can basically promote faith or you can disrupt it. You can share truth, or you can distort that truth. You see, words are important. James gives us a couple of examples of small things like the tongue that can change the direction of much larger things. And these illustrations are very contemporary of his time because people would have understood these. We don't ride horses everywhere anymore, do we? But back then, horses and, and uh, animals that people rode on were very common. And so he says, basically, if you put a bridle inside a horse's mouth, you can direct that whole horse wherever direction you want. You can use that to guide it in any direction. Has anybody here ever ridden a horse? Several of you have done that. I have to tell you that I rode a horse one time. And the minute I got on it, it took off running as fast as it could. I thought it was going 100 miles an hour. Only later somebody told me they never go that fast. But the person that was with us, that was leading us, you know, the expert, 
rode on his horse right alongside of my horse and said, pull on the reins, just not too hard. Guess what I did? I pulled on those suckers as hard as I could, and I learned I could fly. I went right over that horse, right into the ground. I learned the power that was in those little reins over this massive animal. I mean, if you've ever stood next to a horse, it is impressive to see their size compared to you. And then you compare their size to the size of those little reins in your hand. And you begin to realize how powerful a small thing can be in a larger thing. Well, it took a while for me to kind of learn the reins because the other thing you find out is if you, if you go just a little bit, he turns. If you go all the way, he goes in circles, right? You begin to learn that there's a lot of power in that. Today, if we were trying to use the same illustration, we would probably use a car and a steering wheel like I was telling the kids. Well, if you learn to drive, if you can remember that far back to when you learned to drive, and you ever played video games before that, you learn that you don't drive like this, like in video games, because every slight movement actually makes a big impact in that big car and its direction. And so what James is saying, look, a small thing can change the course of your life. Your words can change your direction and what you're going to do. Then he gives us the other illustration, the illustration of a ship. He says a ship is massive. It's big. It carries a bunch of people. It is powered by the wind and sails. And you got to remember, this is, this is when they use sails and, and wind to move that boat. And they had to have massive sails at times, and that, that boat was just huge. And yet there was this rudder in the back that was not that big that stuck into the water, and that rudder could change the direction of the whole ship by just changing positions. He says this is how our words are. Our words can change the direction of our lives. And you know, if you don't believe that, go into uh, the airport and yell, bomb. It will change the course of your life. You'll make the terrorist list and all the no-fly list and everything else. You see, words matter. They make a difference. Before we dismiss this and say, no, nah, words don't matter that much, realize what he's saying. He's not exaggerating. He's saying our words commit us to action. They commit us to direction. They commit us to do something or to follow through on something. You tell somebody that you're going to be somewhere at a certain time, you're committing to that appointment. If you're telling them that you're going to give them something and you don't give it to them, then you have not followed through with that commitment. If you make a verbal agreement with somebody that you're going you're to be there for them in a time of need and then you don't show up, then it changes things. He says, when you commit with your word... Make sure that you're committing to good things and make sure you're following through because words make a difference. 
Now, let's face it. Sometimes our tongues write checks that our bodies can't cash. Because our tongue likes to boast. Like when your friends talked about running a marathon and your tongue made you say that you would run it with them and later on you find out how long a marathon actually is. And then you realize, hey, that was my tongue. It was out of line. I can't do that. You see, our tongue gets us in trouble time and time again. Sometimes it is through pride and boasting, and sometimes it is by making commitments that we can't actually fulfill. Like when you get double booked for an appointment and you're not God and can't be at two places at one time. The tongue can get us in trouble. James compares it to a small fire that can set a great forest ablaze. And immediately we go, well, that's an exaggeration. Well, tell that to the people that are experiencing wildfires right now. Many of those fires, you know how they started? A little cigarette butt or somebody's campfire that wasn't put out. Something small can become acres of destruction. Do you realize that our words can become that restless evil that fills people with deadly poison. That is harsh. But that is what he's saying. He's saying we got to watch what we say because with our words, we can hurt others and we can't cause harm to ourselves. Now, when you read all this, you begin to realize that clearly James has had some bad experiences with people using words in bad ways. Otherwise, you wouldn't write this, right? Anytime you see a rule created or an advice created, it's because somebody did the opposite or somebody got in trouble doing something. You know, when it says don't jump on this, it means somebody jumped on it before. And so when you read this, you begin to realize he has seen people take the word and twist it and change it and alter it to where it's no longer the truth that has been revealed. Where is he getting this? Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to Christian Jews in the diaspora who are far away from the center of Jerusalem, the place where the disciples are, the place where the immediate sources to the gospel of Jesus really are centered. And so you have all of these Jewish Christians spread out through regions far and wide, and you have people coming in calling themselves teachers and distorting the truth of the gospel and changing the truth that has been revealed. And in doing so, James is seeing the destruction and the havoc that that twisting and changing of the word is doing. James is passionate about this because he wants to make sure that those Christians understand that we have to stick to the truth that we have learned in Jesus Christ. That it's not something that can be twisted and turned to our liking, that it is the truth that has been revealed in him that we must follow. Now, James knows that we use this mouth to bless God and to praise and to worship but he also knows that with the same mouth, we turn and curse those for whom Jesus died on the cross. And that, he says, 
ought not to happen. But it happens to us all the time. We can't say that at one time or another, somebody has done something to us or something has happened and we have had those bitter words in our mouth towards somebody else. And at those times, instead of blessing those for whom Jesus died, we have cursed or wished them ill. And it has been a bad moment for us. These moments are challenging because we know that the words that are coming out of our mouth shouldn't have come out. But we allowed them to go from thought to word, and they have contaminated us. And this can lead us down a path that we don't want to go or shouldn't want to go. One time I was literally flicked off by another driver who was going the wrong direction out of an exit because I didn't stop in the middle of traffic to let them through. And I remember that my first gut reaction was to share some not-so-nice words under my breath, not loud enough for them to hear, but just under my breath. Anybody done that before you? <laughs> now, I wish I could say that I'd stop myself, but I didn't. And it was only later looking back that I realized that my tongue at that moment was leading me down a bad path. It led me to bitterness and anger and frustration and righteous self-indignation. How dare that person do that when they were in the wrong? And it took some time for me to repent of that and to just tell God to just bless them and help them to make better choices. You know, you can probably think of a number of times when similar things have happened to you where the not-so-kind words that were in your mind actually made it out of your mouth. Sometimes the other person heard it, and sometimes it was just under your breath, but God heard it. And this is why we have to watch our, our words, because these words don't lead us down a good path. James compares this to trying to produce fresh water and brackish water from the same source. He says, you should not be praising God and worshiping God with your mouth and then using that same mouth to curse those for whom he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And before we start saying, well, that person was wrong or that person was right, we have to remember that Jesus came to save all who were lost. And we all are lost without Jesus. Every single one of us needs Jesus. Now, Scripture teaches us that as Christians, we need to be people of integrity. In other words, whatever comes out of our mouth should be something that we're going to stick to. If we commit to something, if we say something, God will hold us accountable for that. That's why the Old Testament Jews were warned, the Israelites were warned, don't commit to God anything that you're not willing to do because God will hold you accountable for it. At times, doing that will require us to pull on the reins and stop ourselves. 
At times, it will mean turning the rudder so that we can take a new direction different from where we were going. And at times, that will require us to put out the fire before everything catches on fire and the house burns down. Let us seek to make fewer mistakes in speaking as we become a blessing to others. Let our words build up and not tear down. After all, when we become Christian, we take on the responsibility of teaching others about Christ and helping them to know him as their Lord and Savior. And the scripture says that we will be held accountable to a higher standard because we know the truth. They don't, but we do. And we are held up to that standard. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you because this word calls us, O oh Lord, to watch what we say and how we say it to be careful and mindful of our words because we know that like many things you have given us, they can be used to be built up or tear down. Help us, Lord, to stick to your truth, to continue to be proponents of the truth that we have known in Jesus Christ and the faith that he has shared with us. And help us, Lord, to reject all of the twisting of your word that we see around the world. That as people try to change and 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 use the word in ways that are not appropriate, that we will call them to accountability and we will continue to teach the truth. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>